you know when you just have an epiphany? I just suddenly collapsed laughing. I actually fell down on the ground laughing. And they said, what's the matter with you? I said, you know, when I was a little kid and I thought about what I would be doing at 35 years old, this wasn't it. <laughs> I just said, guys, good night. And I left. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 225, Trev sits down for part one of his chat with actor Michael Kostroff. In the interview, Trev and Michael chat about weird day jobs, the dark side of positive thinking, and Michael's late bloomer journey from being a self-described horrifically bad auditioner to being an actor who books all the freaking time. It's all ahead on episode 225, so stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that you can take right now to help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash Start. Hey, Trev. It sounds like you're recording from inside a wood chipper. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. I can't hear you above the wood chipper. What did you just say about a wood chipper? I said wood chipper. You know what, what's really funny is the call recording software measures both of our levels. You know, it's got the little, um, you know bands that show you kind of the volume as so as you speak yours gets louder and when you're quiet yours goes down and on mine when i'm not speaking it's still like halfway up <laughs> on the volume. and there's nowhere else in my apartment i can go because on the other side of the building or the apartment they're like trimming trees so it's even worse there's like just these chainsaws going so great timing awesome <laughs> yeah, let's go us we uh we we sure can pick them Trev. but we we do have a a top of show announcement we are looking for a graphic designer do you want to take this one aj <laughs> and i'll just be quiet i'll mute myself over here <laughs> I love, I love, that's it, it, this is gonna we're gonna call this episode the volleyball episode it's gonna be like set up go ahead aj you spike <laughs> set. Yes. just like trevor reading headlines like topic number one graphic designer mute <laughs> yep um yep uh yeah so uh similar to the uh announcement we made a few episodes back about looking for a new director of public relations we want to sort of give a, a little bit of a boost to the graphic design aesthetic of the podcast sort of across the board and we're just looking to find out if anybody out there uh knows someone or knows someone who knows someone um and we know that a lot of times uh, the graphic designer uh, positions or graphic designer help uh, is often uh, um, people expect that to be, you know, 
<clears throat> free, like you just do work for us. Um, but we, we we're trying to figure out there's a way to compensate this person or at the very least, um, creating some kind of partnership that is mutually beneficial to all parties involved. So if you are a graphic designer or you know someone who's a graphic designer, take a shot at, uh, at it and, and uh, support the podcast. Let us know. Send us an email to the Gmail account. Give us a call at the voicemail. You know how to get in touch with us. But anything you want to add to that, What's your, uh, Trevor? That was great, man. That, that sounds great. I'm, I'm really excited to continue to co-create this podcast with our community. I view it very much as a team effort. So I'm, I'm really stoked to, to just continue that, that journey. So what's going on in your world this week? I mean, I know, but, but tell us the good news. I have the very first ever chemistry read of my career tomorrow with the the star of a new uh comedy series and so it's technically a second callback so i had uh my first audition which was a pre-read with the casting director i had a first callback which was in a big friggin' room with all of the producers including the showrunner and then Tomorrow I have a second callback, which is literally a chemistry test with the star of the show. I have never in my entire career been this deep into an audition process for a role, especially a role of this size or this magnitude, because if I book, when I book this, when I book this, not if, but when I book this and when this pilot goes, it will be not my first co-star, not my first guest star. Not my first recurring, but my first series regular. Oh, shit. Because that is what this role is. It is one of the it is one of the characters on a new pilot and would be basically in, I think, based on the way that the pilot is written anyway, <clears throat> in every single episode. So, so, dude, you didn't tell me that part. <laughs> that is funny freaking huge man congratulations oh sending you such good vibes thank you my friend yes i i i'm going i'm oscillating between freaking out and being super calm about it i I came up with this great analogy when i was talking to jasmine about it the other day i'm i was really trying to take on some of what we're going to hear about in this episode but but more even in, in the next episode with michael kostroff's philosophy and, you know, I got it obviously from you, Trev, because you did the interview, but, you know, where he says st- statistically you're not going to get the job, so just let that go. So I was thinking about that, you know, that whole idea of like statistically I'm not booking it, so let that go and just, you know, enjoy it. And so what, what I, what I, the analogy that I came up with is if you had two buckets and they're full of uh, whatever water, and one bucket is called the hope bucket, and the other bucket is called the reality bucket. Well, when you go into an audition, if you're if your mindset is right, there's probably like two percent of the water is in the hope bucket and the other 98 percent is in the reality bucket. Then you get a callback and maybe like five to 10 percent more goes into the hope bucket. Now there's, you know, 15, 20 percent in the hope bucket and the rest of the you know 80 percent in the in the reality bucket. Then you get a second callback. You're going in for a chemistry read with the series lead or the, you know, the star of the show, the co-creator, the co-writer. Now, all of a sudden, you know, 20 more percent or 30 more percent goes in that. Now, the hope bucket and the reality bucket are pretty much even. So this is the analogy that I came up with because it's hard for me not to think like, wow, I really do have a shot at this. 
and also be in this in this mindset of like completely letting it go. If there's like a war <laughs> happening <clears throat> where I'm like, I want to just pretend like it's not a possibility, but also, you know, visualize it happening in, in, in whatever way possible. So like the other day I was at work, you know, my retail job, the visualization that popped into my head was changing my Twitter bio to, you know, actor, host on Inside Acting, huge LA Kings fan, character X on ABC's blah, blah, blah. Little things like that. And then I go, ah, I, I need to like not, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little weird. And, and I'm, I'm excited to have Ben Mathis's series followed up by Michael's series of interviews because, you know, it, it's, a, it's a head trip. You know, and I go all the way back to Amir Talai, all the way back. That was just a few episodes ago. But, you know, he said, I'm professionally invested, but emotionally disconnected from booking the role. Right. Yeah. High, high intention, low attachment. <clears throat> yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy that I'm getting this opportunity to do it, but I, it, it, this is the first time. This is the first time I've ever gotten this far. So I don't have the practice. I'm just winging it. And doing my, and I, and like I said, it's a, it's a, I also, I'm, I've been oscillating like, yes, I'm absolutely going to book this to <clears throat> no, I can't, I can't think that way. I, I, I get to, you know, let it go and not be emotionally attached. If I was, you know, super Zen about it and was able to completely be emotionally detached, I don't think there is such a thing. I think I would be still be disappointed if it didn't go. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or any words of uh, collected wisdom over the course of the uh, of the podcast or any anything that you might do um, or maybe our listeners might do. Tweet at me after you listen to this and, and you know, let me know if you have any sort of I don't know what the word be traditions or, or things that help you, you know, get yourself prepped, uh, get your mind right, so to speak. I mean, cause I'm, I'm off book. Like there's no, I don't need to, I don't need to study my lines anymore. I don't even really need to make different choices. My agents emailed the casting directors and said, any, any notes for him going into this just to help him out. And they emailed it back and said, no, he was awesome. Don't tell him not to change a thing. Cool. So the cool. performance is the performance. That's all right. But I, you know, it's the, it's the mindset thing that is, it's trippy because I've never been here before. Well, the the stuff that's been most supportive for me in just this this situation, like when I think of you know in the context of the podcast, is Emily Rose. Like her interview series was so great, and she talked specifically about her mindset going into these big meetings and such, and how she viewed it as like a play. You know, it's like I have a play today. You know, and the, and the and it's going to be in this little room, and there's going to be an audience of like maybe five or six people at the most, and it starts at you know three ten p.m. in the afternoon, and then. And then when she's done, she went out and like, you know, she scheduled a date with herself or with a friend or something to go get, you know, ice cream or like to go see a movie or do something really kind for herself so that it wasn't the the best part of her day necessarily. So those two mindset, uh, I don't want to say tricks or hacks, but, you know, those two mindset activities, as it were. That's actually really great because uh, I remember her saying that and I think I even mentioned it during the Ellen Crawford interview and what I like about that is it's very practical. It's yeah. very like tangible, like just actually do this as opposed to, 
the philosophical stuff that we sometimes talk about that's you know uh you know playing mind games with oneself <laughs> right you right know? yeah <clears throat> so uh thank you for that i appreciate that yeah dude break a leg i'm so excited to hear about your experience next week everybody tune in so if you're not subscribed subscribed because first of all why aren't you a subscribe but second of all this is <laughs> this is cool shit man this is a, this is all part of the journey man i love it yeah yeah and then the same the same casting office is casting another pilot and because i was you know it's one of those things like work begets work or momentum or whatever it's like once they were super interested in me and this other pilot it was really easy for my manager to get me an appointment for this for this other pilot. so i have two auditions tomorrow one is my first audition for a a, a different pilot and one is this uh this chemistry test killing it man that's so exciting yeah hello pilot season yes welcome (laughs) nice to meet you yeah all right. Well, we have a listener question for this episode, and I'm going to talk a little bit more now that the uh, wood chipper has chilled out for a bit. Um, but before we get to our listener question from a listener in Detroit, we have uh, a little uh, a little announcement from our friends over at Rehearsal Pro. The next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors that's coming in just a few short months. If you want to learn your lines, be a book for auditions, explore your character and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more. Go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn all about the great new features coming in the next version of Rehearsal, Rehearsal Pro, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. Reserve your soon-to-be-released copy of Rehearsal Pro right now at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. I am so stoked about this next version of Rehearsal, I have to admit. I'm really stoked. I I love Rehearsal. Every time I I get an audition for something, or a meeting, meeting, (laughs) uh, I use that app, and I just, because I'm a repetition guy, man, so I put the, uh, I record my lines, and the other person's lines, of course, sort of more quietly than my own lines. It's a whole tutorial he has on the website, and then I just... The, the app has this really cool feature where you can just turn off the screen and you can lock the screen, but the audio that you've recorded will just loop. So what I'll do is I'll just record the lines, you know, put the phone in my pocket and just let those lines loop over and over and over all, you know, three, four, five, seven pages of dialogue. Just let it loop in my head over and over and over. And uh, that's how I learn my stuff and just get rock solid on my lines so I can go into that room and, and you know, feel like a stud. So that's my f- absolute favorite feature about Rehearsal. And you can get that now with Rehearsal 2, but Rehearsal.pro is going to build on that functionality as well as many more things. So uh, an indispensable tool for actors, and that's coming from uh, me. Stoked. <laughs> All right, so we have a listener question from uh, a listener in Detroit. And uh, he he said he discovered the show um, a few days ago, and he's been you know hooked after one episode. He's listening from the very beginning, so he's at episode ten. So he's not sure if uh, this subject has been brought up before. Uh, and just side note, it has been, but we haven't talked about it in a while. So he he said he would uh, he would love to hear us chat about the struggles of, or just get our thoughts on the struggles of gay actors being typecast only in gay roles. This is a, a question that came from uh, longtime listener and supporter Mike Bowers many, many episodes ago. We talked about it then, and um, 
you know, we've evolved since then as, as people, uh, and, and the podcast has evolved and, and, you know, the industry has evolved. And so I wanted to, I thought it'd be cool to revisit this. Uh, so this listener in Detroit says he's a gay actor and he's still in the closet because he's afraid that if he does come out, it will affect his odds of booking roles as a straight man. He's a pretty masculine dude, he says, so he's able to to hide the fact that uh, that he's gay when he's in auditions, but he's he's afraid of coming out uh, because he th- he's afraid that'll limit his career in some way, shape, or form. So upsetting conversation to be having mm. because it's like I hate that our industry is like that. But but then that begs the question: Is our industry still like that? Does this this listener have anything to be afraid of? Well. I mean, yes and no, but only because not not necessarily because that's an industry wide issue. It's it's a person by person issue. We're making progress in this country and it's becoming less of an issue. And more and more the people who are uh, homophobic or showing that homophobia in in legislative ways are for the most part, at least in my experience, more and more being seen as being on the wrong side of history, essentially. And so thankfully there does seem to be progress being made, just like there's progress being made in terms of racial equality as well. Now, is it all said and done over and done with? No, of course not. There are of course going to be people who, you know, are still homophobic, Let's just call it what it is. That so. That being said, we just we just talked. I think it was you, Trev, that mentioned. You know, we the industry that we are in, the places that it is a hub, meaning L.A., New York, etc., are some of the most liberal, forward, progressive thinking places, and therefore it doesn't really nece- you know necessarily affect someone's viewpoint. Now, in terms of the art, the craft. There is always something about one's essence that lends itself to a role. In other words, if someone's essence is authentically, you know, masculine, as he, as he puts it here, that their essence is going to lend itself to, you know, a particular role. If someone's essence is maybe I'm thinking of um, when Mike Bowers wrote it, and I think he used the word effeminate, then, you know, that's going to show up in the room. And that has nothing to do with being gay or, or not. That just has to do with one's essence. And like we talk about on the podcast, always, we just want our listeners to be authentic and to not be afraid of being their authentic selves and not be afraid of the vulnerability required to show up in a room and be present and affect people emotionally. This leads me to the the last point that I, that I want to make, which is to say that it sounds like this listener is making this decision. Well, it not sound like it's all it's, he wrote it right there on the page. He's making this decision out of fear and that's never a supportive thing. So if listener from Detroit, if you are intentional about this choice and you are saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not coming out of the closet because X, Y, and Z, 
that's one thing. If you're not coming out of the closet because of fear, my request and my invitation to you is to take a look at that and, and, and do some soul searching because that I would never want anyone to make decisions like that out of fear. Um, no good can come of that. So anyway, I have a few other thoughts, but I'm, 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 I'm really curious to hear what you have to say, Trev. Uh, well, beautifully put, AJ. I, uh, yes, yes to everything you said. I, I agree, and I um, I can't. There's not much to add to that. I, I do want to point out that you used the word essence, that, and that that's what they're casting, um, because that's exactly what Michael Kostroff actually talks about in part two of his interview of our interview, which is uh, next week coming next oh. week. He talks about his experience casting. Uh, a, a play and directing a play for the very first time and how he realized it, it, he was casting people's essences. It wasn't necessarily the things that we think of as actors that, that get us cast. It's, it's more about your essence and what you bring to, to the role. And uh, this reminds me, this question reminds me of our, my interview with way, way back with James Leo Ryan. It was like way oh, back, wow. like yeah. episode 15 or something around there, like way back. And, and um, I remember James talking about how when he went into a room, you know, he's the kind of guy he just he's he's got a great look. He just looks sort of like a a, a sort of mean guy, but he's the sweetest guy in the world. But he's just got this look that you can see why people cast him as like you know the rapist or like the drug dealer or something like that. And I, I have no idea what James's sexuality is, and. It wasn't even a thing that came up in my mind when I was listening to him talk about how he approaches his roles and his auditions because he just said, look, it's a role and I play the, my job is to inhabit this role and bring my ideas about this to the, to the role. And so what comes to mind for me as a guy who's never had to deal with this really, um, but what comes to mind is it's like it, it, it doesn't, it, I think it only matters to the degree that we as actors think this kind of thing matters. I guess what I'm saying is I think people take their cues from us. You know, I've said it before in the show. I, I really believe that we train people how to treat us. And if you walk into that room and, you know, sexuality or sexual preference or any of that stuff, is just a non-issue for you. Like Michael says it in part two of the interview as well. Like our jobs as, as actors is to show up and do the work and just like as if we were doctors and and we have the specialty in the training and the person on the other side of the table is there to sort of receive that specialty in training like michael says you know if you're if you're going in to get surgery the doc the last thing you want is for that doctor to say like is this okay like can can i can i do this is this okay if i try this (laughs) like no you go in and you just show them who you are and what you do and you just like blow it up and and sexuality should not even come in come into that conversation i i love that i really really love that yeah i mean i i can sort of and like i said i can't relate to to this listener's um fear because i've never i've never had to live with that fear but uh i i can understand it sort of intellectually and emotionally and i i feel for the situation and i wish it didn't exist um but i think that uh that like you said aj you know, operating from a place of fear, it doesn't do anything for anybody in the world. Operating from a place of empowerment and showing up and sh- and training the world and all the people in it how to treat you, 
not from like a weird ego place, but from a like a, you know, a confident place, a, a compassionate place, a powerful place of just saying, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. And this is what I will and will not tolerate. That that shit changes the world. Yeah. If you can have confidence, kindness, and integrity all in the same package, and just show up in the world with with courage, and 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 make an unwavering stand for your values and beliefs, dude, welcome to Earth 2.0. You know, yeah. I mean, so uh, a huge opportunity for this listener to not only level up, you know, in their careers, but also take the the collective consciousness of our species to a new level. And I know that sounds very big and kind of ridiculous when I say it, but I, I believe it. I really believe that if we have enough people being that way in the world, that's how things shift. We get to a tipping point where everybody just sort of starts to think that way because you have enough people doing it. It's like the hundredth monkey thing, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's also, I mean, it's funny because when, when you say it like that, it's not only is it empowering, <clears throat> it also sounds, uh, I don't want to say easy, but like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's the path. And yet it's maybe one of the most challenging things we do as human beings mm-hmm. yeah. to be unabashedly ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, I think that most casting directors are pretty professional. Um, and so when they come across, you know, uh, an actor whose essence they like, you know, doesn't matter. Any Nothing else matters. Are they right for the role? Great. That's it. That's all that it comes down to. Oh, and and, you know, this, this is a decent segue too to the last port, the the last part of this listener's uh, email where he, he said, maybe we can have someone on to talk where we can ask specifically about this. So, uh, we'll, we'll keep in the back of our, our minds, uh, for the next time, you know, uh, that we have either a casting director on, or if we have somebody who is specifically, you know, an out actor, Cool. Well, we uh, thank you for the question, uh, and I really um, would love to hear uh, what this, what, what about uh, this conversation resonates. This is this is why we do this this podcast for this specific kind of thing. So let's jump into part one of uh, Michael Kostroff's chat, shall we? Awesome! So excited. Yeah, this is a good one, guys. And as we said in the teaser, the first part of this interview is great. It's all about Michael's journey from a guy who, you know, self-described horrifically bad auditioner, very little confidence, uh, but feeling like this was the only thing he could do with his life, to a guy who books all the time, like all the time. He makes his living now as an actor. Uh, He's on every show imaginable. So uh, (laughs) enjoy part one and we'll see you guys on the other side. everybody welcome back this is trevor and i am really 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 excited to be on the one end of a skype chat with the inimitable inimitable michael kostroff michael is the guy that i talked about a few episodes ago the audition psych 101 workshop that i went to and michael's an actor with a rich musical theater background he's got 
gosh, five or six dozen credits on IMDb. I mean, co-stars and guest stars and recurring roles on all over the place. So he knows what he's talking about. And Michael, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. I'm thrilled to be here, too. Wow, what, what an intro. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your journey. We usually like to start at the beginning and hear just sort of what brought you into this ridiculous industry. And, and, and you know, it's not the sanest thing to do. So why are you here? It's a great question, and it's 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 one of the hardest ones to answer because it, there's not, it's very it's a very nonlinear answer. Um, I like a lot of actors knew I was an actor as soon as I knew there was such a thing as acting. You know, when I was a little kid, I was like, "Wait a minute, that's my thing," and I I really knew right away that it was my calling. I also never expected that I'd make a living at it, and I was a very late bloomer in everything in my life, including my career. So most of my career was not working and waiting tables and getting involved in whatever free theater I could get involved in and uh, just really not having a lot of success. I think, uh, you know, our, my workshop, which I know we'll get to eventually, was born largely out of the fact that I was uh, miserably bad at presenting myself early in my career. It wasn't like there was a big break or a turning point. I just kind of didn't go away and something happened and I started to work and then started to work more and then started to get more confident about my work and that showed up in my work, which led to more work. And, you know, I, 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 I still geek out and marvel at the fact that I I'm the guy that people introduce like you just introduced me and said, oh, this guy works. He's a working actor. I'm like, holy shit, how did I become that guy? Right, um, yeah. I'm still a little bit in awe. I, I always say I benefited from very low expectations in my career. Everything has been a great surprise. And every time I get a call that I've gotten a job, I'm like, wow, really? That's cool. So yeah, that, I guess that's the simplest answer about my journey is that I always knew I had to do this, whatever form that was going to take, whether it was going to be just doing it for free and waiting tables or whatever it was going to be. That was that was my thing. I have so many questions just based on that. But but first off, you said you you always knew. So like right out of the womb, you just had this thing inside of you that said, I've got to do this. Well, it's like I said, as soon as I saw the, saw it, I think I was like in, in grade school and there was a school play and I was backstage and I was watching the kids on stage. I went, oh, wait a minute. I'm on. <laughs> I'm in the wrong department right now. I was working. I was working crew. I was like, Oh no, I, I gotta be Captain Hook. That's what's going you know? <laughs> Other people have described that not only in our profession, but in other professions, it's what I call a calling where they went, Oh, you can own a store, you know, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I, I, I knew, but, um, like many actors, and you know, I'm I'm always very blunt about this. I hope it doesn't shock people. But you know, I had a really crap childhood. I was very, I had horrifically bad self esteem, really bad. I was immensely shy and just kind of dark and weird, and I really didn't like myself. And I, I mean, I had a lot of stuff. It was bad. Uh, it was really, really bad. And um, so I, I think to say that I had doubts along the way, and not not about wanting to do it. But about any possibility of ever doing it, uh, you know, professionally or getting paid or anybody liking what I had to offer, uh, that was not that was nowhere on my radar. So all of this is bonus and surprise. You, you know what I mean? So, so in terms of the desire, yeah, I was always going to audition for the school play, and I was always going to you know do go to the theater summer camp or whatever I could do. But I really did could never have foreseen being employed. Hmm. 
Hmm. I think Tom Hanks said uh, acting is the shy man's revenge. <laughs> Something like that. Beautifully put. You know, it's it's funny. I, I The outside world thinks that we're very stuck up and arrogant, which we're just not. Most of us feel like tiny little nothings, you know. Um, I, I've, I sometimes, in, in my musical theater side of my career, I, I play very high energy, big, over the top, three hours of screaming and singing and dancing on stage. Around four o'clock in the afternoon before a performance, I will often go, how can I be that guy? I'm a potato. I'm sitting here. I mean, I'm so small inside, you know. How am I going to be Max Bialystok or, or Tenardier in a few hours? And then it happens, you know. I once saw, I'll never forget this. It was like a postcard of a, of a, of a piece of art that I fell in love with. And it's a painting of like a little sad little circus. It's a one ring circus. And, you know, there are like 40 people in the audience. And in the middle of the ring, on a like an eight foot or 12 foot pedestal, is a little snail. And on his back is, a, is a, somebody's painted a star, you know. And he's about to jump through a flaming hoop. And you look at him and you go, I don't know how he's going to do that, but that snail is going to jump through that hoop. That's his gig. And that's what I think a lot of us feel like. I don't know how I get up and be shiny and interesting when I'm not like that in real life, but I, we managed to do it somehow. You know, that, that's always so fascinating to me because it sounds like the acting is like the most, based on what you've described, it's like the most challenging thing you could possibly choose for your life. And yet it's also the only way that you could kind of get to the next level on, on a spirit from a spiritual sense. Yeah. I think it calls to people like me. I think, I think a lot of us are, are, are broken or sad or, you know, start off, really not liking ourselves and you know I, I, it seems to be mecca for those those kinds of souls i mean not we're not all that screwed up but a lot of us are is there anything else that you could have ever seen yourself doing or was this always just kind of the only choice i mean had i not done this i, I would have maybe been um, a psychologist because i'm interested in what makes people tick and the brain you know uh maybe a set designer i was always fascinated by set design I don't, I don't buy this theory that there's, for actors, there should be nothing else that interests you. I don't know what I was going to do if I didn't make it as an actor. I really don't. What, what were you doing? You said you were working a lot, not as an actor, but a lot of yeah. day jobs. I, wait, I waited a lot of tables. I, um, I did some temping. I was a proofreader. I'm a real language nerd. I, I actually, I'm not that educated about it. I didn't even go to college, but I'm a real stickler for language, linguistic accuracy. And then... Just some really, truly weird jobs. Uh, when I lived in L.A., they do these test market screenings of, of films that are going to be released later. Right. And one job in L.A. is you can stand outside movie theaters and recruit people for these screenings. And you only get paid by how many of your people show up because there's a little number on your passes it's the most miserable you're standing out in the cold waiting for the movies to let out nobody wants them because they're free and they could be seeing like the next tom hanks film but you can't tell them that it was an awful job it was really funny the people got very political and competitive you know they wanted to get like you know the good movie to hand out and uh, it was just a ridiculous thing and there was one night it was cold and rainy and i was standing outside a movie theater nobody was there and there were like eight of us and you know when you just have an epiphany i had i just suddenly collapsed laughing i actually fell down on the ground laughing and they said what's the matter with you i said you know 
when I was a little kid and I thought about what I would be doing at 35 years old, this wasn't it. <laughs> I just said, guys, good night. And I left. And you just quit? <laughs> I just quit. Yeah. Oh, wow. And you were 35 when that, when that yeah. epiphany hit. Yeah. That's really wonderful to hear because I'm, I'm going to be 35 in a few months. And sometimes I, I look at my life and I go like, wow, I, like, I'm not qualified to do anything else. I, I, like, I might as well just keep pursuing the dream because there's really nothing else going on. And Well, I feel that way too. I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not highly educated. I'm, I'm in some ways not that smart. I'm, I'm a smart guy, but in some ways, like I, I can't, re- I can't wrap my head around math or science or, you know, I'm sure there's something else I could have done, but, but anyway, I, yeah, but I had a lot of weird day, weird day jobs. One that was a, a graveyard shift where I went in this cold little room and a, a period at certain periods, I had to switch these reels on a big computer. I don't know what they were doing. They could have been taken over the government. I have no idea what that job was. What an interesting, where, where do you find these jobs? <laughs> I was, I guess it was a temp job or something. I, I, I don't remember. It was like something out of the movie Brazil. Right. Or something. So weird. Right. <laughs> um, and then like the best day job ever was uh, working at Disneyland. Cause I was getting suddenly getting paid to perform like a decent salary. That was a great job. I loved that job. How long were you there at Disneyland? I was there for, for, I can't remember, but it was a lot of years because um, I went from being a performer there to being a writer there, and I didn't know I could write at all, but I sort of got recruited by the head writer there, which, again, was a a big life change because it turned out I I was a really good writer, and I didn't know that. So that paid a lot of bills, too, and that was fun. A writer for what what aspects? Everything at Disneyland gets written. We don't think about it, but... uh, um, if they're putting together a design for a parade, there's a treatment of that parade. The writer actually designs a lot of the parade and says, this happens and this happens. Um, it's, you know, proposals for new attractions. It's live shows that get written. I, I wrote the Toy Story 2 show for the park. Awesome. Um, yeah. And little special events, like when the president of Disneyland retired, there was we did a little show for him. I mean, they, they do shows for everything. So, um, that was a fun, that was a great job. Yeah. You don't think about that kind of thing. I, I was, that was there not too long ago and this, you know, one of those impromptu like little skits just kind of popped up in the middle of the street. And I guess I never thought like, Hey, somebody has to like plan this and rehearse this and schedule everybody. And, and, and we pit, you have to pitch it and it's wow. got to be discussed. And right. Yeah. Then there's all sorts of changes. I'm sure there's politics involved and always, I mean, I've, I've had somebody, somebody say to me, Donald would never say that. <laughs> okay, I'll change the line. That's not in his vocabulary, that word. They get very serious about it. They're like, Donald wouldn't say that. Like, okay. Wow, <laughs> okay. I'm curious because you're in New York right now. Yes. Um, but you spent a long time in L.A. Now, did you first start calling L.A. home or New York home? What came first? I grew up in New York City, so it's always been home. Um, I found that I was here and not working and, and consistently not working, and I decided to do that experiment that a lot of actors do. And I moved out to LA for six months and I was there for 20 years, 20 years. So yeah. you, you had, we were planning on six months and then you looked up and yeah, time is funny in LA. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. It, it kind of shifts and morphs, you know, yeah. like in New York, I guess because we have seasons, but also it's such a vibrant place that, you know, you, you know, when a year has passed, but in LA, I'm like, that was five years ago. What? It seemed like about an hour and a half, you know, it, it just kind of, yeah. So, so yeah, the, the, the time sort of drifted along and also things move slowly. So I, I was seeing some promising signs. So I stuck it out. 
you know? mm-hmm. so when did so how old would you say you said you were a late bloomer yes uh, and i'm curious like I, we've had a few people on the on the show say that and they seem you know like they're in the their prime and I'm, I'm curious what that means to you well i really really didn't work in my 20s I was practically never paid for acting in my 20s. I, that's not exactly true. I did like murder mystery weekends and little things here and there. But I uh, really wasn't, I was not on television. I was not in the movies. I was not, you know, doing any major theater. So that's what I mean. I mean, in my 30s, I started to get a job here and a job there. But I, I didn't have an acting career, I don't think, till I was, you know, mid-30s or late 30s. And do you, was, do you think that was because you had some skills to learn or did you need to grow into yourself or a little bit of both? Or I think a big part of it is just type because I'm yeah. such a character type uh, that I really, once I started gaining weight and losing hair, I, I started working a lot more. But I think in my particular case, um, it, was, it was this phenomenal insecurity. And, you know, nervousness about presenting myself that at this point, it's worse than I can remember. Like, I can't exactly reconstruct it now, but it was very bad. Like I and that's a weird combination to know that you want to make your living performing and have a real challenge with presenting yourself, Hmm. you know. Yeah. Somehow I was lucky enough to start working and that grew my confidence. There's a weird thing we do to ourselves where and I think it's generational. I think it's this particular generation. There's the mythology that you're supposed to just believe in yourself, like in a vacuum with no confirmation, no nothing. You're just supposed to have this um, self-sufficient self-esteem. And nobody wants to admit that, you know, the more you get hired as an actor, the more you feel better about your acting. That's normal to me. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, makes sense. Yeah. The more experience you have auditioning, the more comfortable you are auditioning. But people say, no, 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 it's not that you can't rely on other people. You got to just believe in yourself. I don't really know how to do that if nobody else is confirming what I hope is true about me. Right, right. You see, one thing you said in the uh, in the audition psych workshop, uh, you you started it by saying, "Look, I'm not a I'm not a positive thinking kind of guy." You know, after, like all that stuff. Not you don't really buy that. You 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 focus very much on like the concrete actions. Well, I think particularly because we're in a business of creating fantasy. When it comes to real life, I'm a stickler for reality. I I just, I I really hate philosophies that are peddling um, the idea of convincing yourself of something that you instinctively know is not true. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of this that, you know, the, the, the bad side of positive thinking is where we don't want to admit that anything bad is going on. Right. Yeah. I think that's, and that's the key. That's the part that the secret and all these other movies and movements leave out that like, you know, you have to acknowledge the reality while having some ideal that you're pursuing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I'm being a little flippant when I say I don't believe in positive thinking. I, 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 I've known people who do nothing but complain and find the worst in things. And I think that's immensely unhealthy. I'm not that person. Like I said, I still am like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm getting paid to act. Holy moly. You know, I, I mean, I'm upbeat, upbeat about a lot of things, but I, I, I'm much more comfortable with the philosophy that some things just suck, you know? And I think anybody who had a childhood like mine would come to the same conclusion. Some things are just bad, you know? Uh, and, and, they, and some things just suck, you know? I, I mean, and we're so privileged in this country. I mean, you know, you want to talk to somebody who can't feed their family, you know, and is living on the street. And, you know, we have that here also as well. But I mean, in, in, in horribly poor countries, 
and try to sell them on the idea that that everything that happens is for the best and it's a lesson from the universe, they're going to tell you to go fuck yourself, and rightfully so, <laughs> you know. So for actors to indulge in this idea of like I just have to envision and believe in myself and see myself on the set and believe that I'm going to get the job, it, this is this is voodoo. Hmm. It, it's it's mythology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and again, I want to just kind of reiterate, I think when it ends there, that's where the most damage is, you know, that that's kind of the, that's the mythology. It's like, oh, you just think it into being and right. that's a really clean, sellable thing. But, but when you neglect how much sort of effort you're going to have to put in to create that as well. I, I, I believe in something that I, I've named the negative positive. It goes like this. Let's say you, you go to war and your leg gets shot off. You have every reason to be angry and feel bitter and resentful and wonder why it happened. And then one day you got to wake up and see, see what's the best life you can have with one leg. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's dealing with reality and then making the most of it. Yes. As opposed to selling yourself that everything's great, you know, yeah. when, when it, it's not, life is not designed that way. So, you know, the, the career of being an actor is a hard, challenging one, full of disappointment. The likelihood of success is razor thin. And that's the truth of what we do. Yeah. And if you can sign on for that and go, all right, I'm going to do that and make the most of it, then great. What, what have you, have there been mo? I mean, if this is a silly question to put it in a yes or no way, what are the moments in your life where you've been just been ready to throw in the towel and be like, this is just not worth it? Uh, I, I honestly, I don't think I've had those moments. Um, I, I don't know. It's I mean, maybe I, I think I, I think I've had a different different road than other people because, as I said, I I sort of expected to have to do other jobs to support my acting habit. So that so I really never had that thing of like frustration and disappointment about show business not not paying my bills because I always expected that. And so I've had the great surprise of going, wow, I'm paying my bills as an actor. Right, so, right. Yeah. So I don't I don't think I ever really did want to quit what I was actually doing, which was whatever little play or movie I could get into. And I also thought, well, what else am I going to do? It's kind of like what you said. What else am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw an article on the onion the other day and yeah. it said the headline was like 34 year old figures. He should just keep pursuing the dream at this point or something like that. And the article is all about how he had no prospects and right. you know, he was just basically, as long as his roommate of eight years didn't move out he could keep, keep doing what he was doing. Dream. Well, that's right. You know, I, I think we have to, I think it's crucial that we be realistic because I, I, I've known actors who say, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep myself available and I'm not going to have a plan B and, I'm, and, and they don't get a day job, you know, and they're living an unrealistic life because they are holding this positive thought that any minute they're going to hit it big as an actor. That really doesn't serve us. Yeah. You know, yeah. I am a great advocate of get a great day job that you like. You know, it doesn't have to be during the day, but, you know, a great support job, a, a workable lifestyle, have a roommate that you can live with that you don't hate, you know, do whatever you need to do. But I mean, so that you can be comfortable. I mean, I, I have um, this young woman was talking to me about um, she didn't want to take this date. She had this great opportunity for a high paying day job, you know, and she was really wrestling over it. And I said, what if you do it for six months or a year and you save some money? I mean, why not have that experience of uh, stability? It's an incredible, 
incredible feeling to just go, okay, I don't have to stress over that part. And she did. She was, it's the best thing she ever did. What do you, I'm curious, do you have a, a side job or a day job right now aside from the acting? I don't need one, which is great. I do coach cause I love coaching and I teach my workshop cause I love teaching my workshop. Um, I sometimes get a little writing job here or there and I'm, I'm working on my own book of this workshop. Um, but I, but I'm, I make my living as an actor. I still can't believe I'm saying that out loud, but yes, I make my living as an actor. And, and you have been for quite a while now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can no, see it on your face. You're like, yeah, how is that possible? Well, it's still mind blowing. And I never take it for granted that next year will be the same as this year because it doesn't work that way. Hey everyone, welcome back. Um, wow, what a great, I mean, what an awesome back-to-back series uh, between Ben and Michael just for just for going into the audition room. If nothing else, you know, like what a, what a supportive, you know, couple of interviews for what is an actor's bread and butter. Yeah, and, and, and which is 90% of what we do. I mean, we, we are professional auditioners. You know, yeah. <laughs> when we yeah. book the job, it's like, oh, we get to play now. But the work <laughs> is actually the audition. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm excited about part two. And uh, I hope you, our listeners, are excited as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So what is your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is, I, I, you know, I didn't talk too many details about my audition, uh, my chemistry read tomorrow. But I've been watching a lot of this guy's stand-up, you know, just to become familiar with him and what he's like and what his comedy is like. <laughs> this is like the big, I'm like hitting people over the head with a mallet of hints. My pick of the week is um, a stand-up routine by none other than Gabriel Iglesias, a.k.a. Fluffy, um, who... Uh, is a very well-known stand-up comedian and a lot of his stuff is on YouTube. I just picked this, this one, you know, comedy central special that he had. It's available on iTunes, but you know, if you like go and support uh, artists, you know, stand-up comics are they're they're It's just another art form. And, and in my mind, one of the most challenging, how these guys get up and and make, you know, hundreds of people laugh. I, I do not understand. Uh, if you want to support Gabriel, you know, this, this special, uh, that I put a link to in the, in the show notes is available for purchase on iTunes. And then if you want just, you know, a little taste, a little flavor of what he is all about, uh, there's tons of his stuff on, on YouTube, of course. So I think I've seen some of his work is his stuff and I, I love it. He is hilarious. <clears throat> well, and you know what I really like about him too? You know, we just talked about authenticity we talk about it all the time. I know this from friends who are standups and, and, and watching stand-up comedy a lot of comics talk about you know themselves their life you know things that they experience and that's part of their stand-up there there are few who are as authentic as gabriel in my experience because when he tells a story he's literally just telling you what the hell happened anyway it's all it's all part of it i really i really appreciate his uh brand of comedy if you will very cool all right well my my what is your pick of the week my friend My pick of the week is uh, a, a series on a podcast that actually Jasmine brought to our attention many, many episodes ago. 
the podcast is called Note to Self, and it's about the how to, how what being human in this technological world that we find ourselves in what that means. So how do we, how do we use this technology, but retain our humanity, not go crazy. Uh, and the, uh, series that Jasmine turned us on to, um, all those episodes ago was called bored and brilliant. And it was about, you know, how to bet our cell phone addictions essentially. And it was a great series on just that sort of had some actionable items on how to not break your addiction to your cell phone. I don't think we're all addicted, but just to sort of become present to how, um, ubiquitous cell phones are in our lives. It was really, really cool. I, I went through the whole series. I found it really supportive. And they've got another series that they just wrapped up called Info Magical. And it's about how to cope with information overload in our lives, our daily lives, especially as Americans. Hmm. So, and, you know, in an election cycle right now. So, <clears throat> oh boy. Really interesting uh, uh, series. And I, I found it so supportive. They had fi- they have basically a series of emails that you can sign up for. And they have a series of podcasts that go along with those emails. And the podcast episodes are about 10 minutes each. And they, they look at a different aspect of the information that flows into our lives. And the whole series asks you to anchor yourself in an information goal before you go through this. So some of the goals are like, do you want to be more up to date on the news? Do you want to keep in t- better in touch with friends and family? Do you want to be more creative? You pick a goal and then that goal is sort of your anchor as you move through the week and start to uh, look at the information that's coming into your, li- your life. Everything from digital clutter to notifications on your phone or your computer or your you know mobile device to um, you know filtering through different communications, emails and things like that. So when you have a purpose moving through this, it's, it's really great to sort of just get back to basics and say, why do I allow all of this into my life? And is it actually useful or am I just sort of mentally masturbating with this information or, you know, what, what is the purpose of this? And, and I found it really enlightening, uh, and, um, insightful to just get present with like, why do we subscribe to some of these newsletters, you know, or, or why do I need to know what Donald Trump said in the last debate? I, why am I clogging up my brain real estate with this information? So a really cool. Um, so the link is on the website. Again, the podcast is called note to self and the specific series is called info magical, but I highly recommend the podcast itself just as a general thing. Um, because I find that the things they talk about, uh, are, it's just great. It's about like, how do we how do we maintain our sanity and our humanity and our a, a quiet, peaceful mind in the face of all of this chatter and white noise that's in the world today? You know what I love about what you just said, though, too, Trevor, was you know when you were saying why why do I need to know what is this? something you said something like why do I need to know what Trump said in the last debate or something like that? And if nothing else, what something like this may support someone with is it, it being intentional about it. Exactly. You don't necessarily have to ask a question like that and then answer it with, I don't need to know. I'm actually, you know, wasting my time and my energy and, and that kind of thing. You could very well answer, you know, ask yourself that question and then go, huh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just, hmm. Though that, and that's the whole, that's the whole idea. Like one of the goals that you could choose as you go through this, this week of, uh, of, analyzing your information intake one of the goals is so i can be more informed around the water cooler or something to that effect so Mm. in that case if you're asking yourself why do i need to know what donald trump said in the last debate it's if that's your goal is to be more informed on this kind of gossipy stuff 
then that's why you need to know because you want to be able to relate to people when you're having casual conversations about what's happening in the world. If that's not your goal, then you don't need to know it. But just bringing that extra level of awareness and intention to the information that we're that we're absorbing and not just sort of passively becoming consumers of it was was the big aha for me. Mm. So, yeah, check it out. Note to Self is the podcast. Infomagical is the specific series that you can check out. Link on our website. And then also uh, some great stand-up to to soak up this week as well. If that's your goal, is to laugh, Um, Uh, then check out uh, Gabriel Iglesias, Aloha Fluffy. Link (laughs) on our website for that as well. Uh, That's all the news that fits for episode 225, I think, yeah? Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Jam-packed. Oh, I love doing this with you, brother. Oh, thank you, man. Feeling is very, very mutual, especially now that you can hear me over the wood chipper that has temporarily stopped. Uh, Well, today's wood chipper episode, today's episode, not wood chipper, of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algatz. Mr. Woodchipper himself. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Kubrick is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Trevor Alget edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes. In fact, all of our episodes, period. All 224 others. Uh, over at our website, InsideActing.net. And you can also find us on iTunes, where your reviews, your, your positive, constructive... Uh, glowing reviews uh, <laughs> not required but definitely preferred uh, are hugely appreciated hey speaking of uh, not required but definitely preferred it's been a long time you know I don't want to twist anybody's arm but it's been a long time since we've gotten a voicemail so I thought I'd just throw it out there again in this episode in case people have forgotten from the very first episodes when we used to say it all the mm-hmm. time and we have two but- ways two, <clears throat> two or three ways people can leave us voicemails there's a little uh, like widget plug-in thing on the website you can use it's called speak pipe you can use that to send us a voicemail you can call our voicemail line 213 actors uh, or 213-222-8677 i think that's yes it. you got and it then, and then you can also just record a voice memo on your phone and shoot it to us in an email uh, all three of those will get your voice on the podcast Thank you, sir. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and Viotagogo.com. And thanks to you, our listeners. If you love inside acting and you want to maximize its value in your life and career, and of course support the continued production of this year podcast, you can sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, uh, where we're doing the uh, IAP book club, cool freebies, invites to exclusive member meetups like the ABC meetings, and much, much, much more. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. And that is it for episode 225 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, break a leg. Break a leg.